Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to Cryptique, where we delve into the depths of the paranormal, occult, conspiracies, forbidden history, alternative archaeology, true crime, UFOs and aliens, and so much more. Don't forget to check out the YouTube episodes Ryan's been putting out with screen shares, slides, and videos available on YouTube at Cryptique Podcast. What are we talking about tonight? All right, tonight Cryptique is thrilled to welcome Vicki Joy Anderson, an esteemed author, speaker, and researcher with over 40 years of harrowing experience battling sleep paralysis. Vicki Joy Anderson graduated from University of Northwestern in St. Paul, Minnesota, majoring in Bible and English with a, ri- with a writing emphasis. Sorry, I need a reading emphasis, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> After many years in corporate management, Vicki Joy stepped out in faith to become a full-time author and speaker in 2019. Vicki Joy writes for RealDarkNews.com and L.A. Marzulli's Politics, Prophecy, and the Supernatural, as well as writing on apologetics, poetry, and fringe topics. Her latest book, They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis, is available now exclusively on lamarzuli.net and you can find more about her at vickyjoyanderson.com and vickyjoyauthor on instagram so vicky welcome to cryptique how are you doing i'm doing great thanks for having me absolutely um i've been listening to some of the podcasts you've been on and you have way more in-depth knowledge on bible topics than i do so i'm just i want to put that out there that I mean, I know a little bit, but if if you're quoting something, like if you say, do you remember, you know, this, I'll probably say, well, tell me what it says. I, I don't remember by, uh, you know, chapter and, you know, verse and all that stuff. So just bear with me, please. Oh, ab- absolutely. I, I won't go all out Moses on you. We'll, we'll be cool. Okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, even though we just covered it, uh, I'd like for them to hear from you where they should go to follow along on this podcast if they're listening. Uh, any places that I didn't mention that you want to throw a shout out to or anything like that? No, I think those are pretty much the two places at this point, my website and uh, Instagram. That's kind of where all the the 411 will be when I've okay. been on a show or where I'm going to be at a conference or something. So yeah, that, that should do it. All right. Good deal. The topic that we're going to be kind of hovering around tonight is sleep paralysis. We can go wherever you want to go. If there's anything else you want to talk about, feel free. Uh, You can jump around whatever you want to do. But uh, can you start off by telling us a little bit about your background and how you kind of, I don't want to say got swept up in this phenomenon, but you didn't choose it. So uh, yeah, give us a little history. Tell us how you got into this. Yeah, absolutely. So I I was pretty much in the dark for first 30 some years of my life and kind of just thought that I had really active dreams and nightmares. Sure. And and that's kind of the thing too, you know, when people talk about sleep paralysis, they kind of want to get all their best campfire stories out. And so you hear a lot about the shadow man and I yeah. can't breathe, I can't move, that kind of thing. But what a lot of sleep paralysis sufferers neglect to tell you, because it's not as titillating as the rest of the stuff is, sure. it's not it's not just the nights that they're having sleep paralysis. On any given night, your dreams are extremely vivid. Uh, a lot of them are very um, uh, spiritual feeling. Okay. Uh, 
a, a lot of nightmares on top of sleep paralysis and bad dreams without the paralysis, uh, a lot of astral stuff. And if you're not familiar with that, there's a lot of people with uh, habitual sleep paralysis that are in the astral realm way more than I think they realize. Okay. And um, there's ways to kind of tell the difference and we can, we can delve into that. So with me, I was just kind of ignorant and clueless for most of my life. Uh, this started really early for me. I, I mean, my first memories go back to about four, but I have other memories wow. before that, that I think like, Oh, that, that was probably going on back then too. But I always thought that I just had really vivid dreams. Uh, I had a lot of nightmares, uh, in retrospect, now as an adult looking back on it, now the 70s and the 80s were a different time. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I look back now and I wonder why there wasn't any doctors or parents that thought it was unusual that almost every night I'm waking up and giving an explicitly, you know, horrible description of a nightmare. And it's not the typical being chased by dogs or drowning in a swimming pool. Like it, these sure. are pretty horrific stories. So I kind of wonder like, where were the adults in my life that were scratching their heads going like, this is really weird. What is going on with her? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, nowadays, nowadays, if, if, if a child said something like that, there would be, there would be suspicions of abuse or neglect yeah. or sexual abuse or, you know, so for, for some reason, I just flew under the radar, or maybe, maybe because I was just so nonchalant about it. I don't know. But for many years, I was content to just believe these were bad dreams, even though I think deep down, I knew there was something very unique about these dreams, but I didn't really want to deal with that. Um, and it was probably when I was in my 30s. And I remember I was at a conference and the late, the late Russ Dizdar was talking and out of the out of the blue, he brings up sleep paralysis. And so I perked up because at this <laughs> point, this was long enough ago where people didn't talk about it. Right. And and so he, he said at the time, you know, if you if you've had sleep paralysis your entire life, that entity that's coming into your room, not only is it a real entity, but it's the same one. It's it's been like assigned to you. And I'm I'm not verifying, you know, my research hasn't led me to say anything that specific, but sure. I, I was pretty freaked out at that point because I had to I had to be nose to nose with it at that point. Like, wait a minute, this isn't a dream. So mm, that was sort of yeah. a wake that was sort of a wake up call for me that I had to maybe look deeper into this. And because um, you do get to a point when it's happened your whole life that you're like, well, I'm just going to live with it. And you do become very resilient to mm -hmm. it. You don't enjoy it, but you're like, ah, yeah, here we go again. And yeah. I, I don't know that a lot of us are necessarily thinking like, oh, wait, I can get rid of this. Right. And, and you can. So that, that was kind of the point that I got to. Like, I, I don't know what sort of literal or figurative uh, demons I have to face, but I am kind of sick of this. I'm tired of being tired all the time and exhausted. Sure. And, and so that was sort of the catalyst that made me like, I really want to look into this deeper. Sure. Now, did you share this with friends or anything like that? Did you assume that this was just happening to everyone? Because I, I hear that a lot where people just say, well, I just assumed it was happening to everybody. So I didn't talk about it and didn't worry about it. Well, not that I yeah. didn't worry about it, but, you know, didn't do anything right. about it because it was just part of life. Yeah. No, I had the exact opposite. I thought, uh, this is crazy. 
And if I say it out loud, people will know I'm crazy. And okay. so I kind of felt like I've got to keep the secret. Sure. Uh, I had no idea other people suffered with it. And it, I didn't figure that out until the internet and yeah. the very kind of, I'm talking pre-Google where you, in order to find <laughs> something online, you had to know where you were going. Right. It was very frustrating. <laughs> and I was actually listening to an apologetics podcast and I had fallen asleep listening to it. And I woke up and they were in the middle of this discussion about sleep paralysis. And because I was sort of half asleep, I thought I was actually having sleep paralysis because a lot of times sleep paralysis, it can be like a very taunting, mocking sort of a thing. Like they'll, you kind of know beforehand when it's going to come because they like to freak you out before they show up. And, okay. and so I, I thought, oh crap, I'm having, you know, I didn't, I'd never heard the phrase sleep paralysis before. So I was like, oh crap, it's happening again. And I'm hearing this guy, this, this podcast host perfectly describe to the very detail verbatim my experience. And because I had never heard anyone say that before, I'm, when I finally kind of woke up, I was like, what am I listening to? And then they gave it this name, sleep paralysis and chills just went all the way up and down my body. Cause it was literally the proverbial, like, you know, Holy grail I've been looking for my whole life. Like this is a thing. Mm -hmm. Other people have had this, there's a name for it. What? Like, so I was simultaneously terrified and elated um, at the same time. And so the next day I went on and I, I um, in the search parameter said mm -hmm. sleep paralysis. And back then it was message boards that came up okay. and I am scrolling through these message boards all day for days, just reading hundreds of other stories of people describing things. And uh, it just opened up this whole world to me. One thing that took me years and years to figure out and find others to because people weren't communicating this aspect of it. I would always hear a sound effect before it happened, like, like a helicopter in my ear. And I, so I would always be typing in, in the searches, like sleep paralysis, noise, mm -hmm. sound effect, helicopter, wind. And sure. it's really fascinating to me now that there's a lot more disclosure and a lot more of this predictive programming and stuff I am shocked now how many horror movies where there'll be like a paranormal entity in the room that they can't see where they'll be in their house and their hair will start blowing around. Mm -hmm. uh, like there's a wind in the room because that, sure. that's what would happen to me. My, my hair would be blowing around and I'd be like, is it a wind? Wow. And so, and so it took me many years to find the people that understood that part too. And that was actually, um, it wasn't really a sound effect. It was vibrational and it okay. was actually, those were the indications of the out of body and the astral experiences. And so that explained to me then why the terror exponentially increased at those moments, because I was actually separating, but I didn't know, like it, I mean, it, it literally took me 40 years to unfold sure. all, all of this. And so um, that that's kind of how I stumbled uh, upon the fact that there were other people I did try to tell one friend one time I was 15, I was in 10th grade, and I told my friend and she was extremely sympathetic. She didn't look at me weird. And, and we remained friends after that, but she went home and told her mom, mm -hmm. which is fine, but her mom was a devout Catholic. And so her expertise of that up to that point in time, this is like the eighties mm -hmm. was your demon possessed and a priest has to come and do an exorcism over you. And, you know, and all sure. I'm thinking is Linda Blair. Right. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> and, and so I, I did not do that. But, the, but what I realized there at 15 is I can't, 
I can't talk to people about this. If, if your assumption is going to be that I'm demon possessed yeah. uh, or that I'm crazy or I'm mentally ill. And, and that's the thing. And we still, there's still a, a stigma with this where people don't understand it. And we, we've kind of got two sides of the pendulum. Now you've mm-hmm. got um, people that will still and always think it's schizophrenia or demon possession. But now, because of where we are culturally, now the hat man and the shadow man and sleep paralysis is it's it's kind of like this generation's Freddy Krueger. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's sure. like um, it it's being presented on social media like a joke. Like, right. hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna chug back some Benadryl and see my hat man, or you know, my sleep paralysis demon be like, say what? You know, yeah. they just like it's a big joke, right? And and. And for most people, if you're dabbling with it, it's just kind of, you know, when we were kids, we'd have those slumber party things that we would do because we wanted to scare the crap out of ourselves. So we do the <laughs> Bloody Mary in the mirror yeah. and all that. We did all that. We're sneaking out and walking up the railroad tracks. And, you know, I mean, we did all that stuff. The good old days. The good old days. <laughs> and so, um, you know, now it's like, let's chug back Benadryl and see the hat man. And where where my research is and where my book is delving into is I'm not talking about the people that like had a slumber party phenomenon or played with the Ouija board one time. And, you know, all the lights went out. I'm talking about people who unsolicited were chosen in some sense of the word from childhood and are now in their forties, fifties, sixties. I hear from 70 year olds telling me they've had this their whole life. And (sighs) on a, on a frequent basis and uh, some to a degree of terror, you like, I mean, some people get pulled out of the bed. Some people it turns into UFO abductee uh, scenarios, and with others they're they're abused and molested. Right, We've got right. incubus, succubus stuff, and so it runs the gamut. But wh- where we need to start not making a total joke and game out of this, and where the medical profession and the sleep researchers and the pastors and the priests need to get a more uh, multifaceted understanding of this is the people out there that are suffering this for decades and can't escape it. They can say the name of Jesus. They can get rid of all their charged objects and never listen to heavy metal again and pray all the prayers that are available online and nothing touches it. Nothing gets rid of it. These are the people that are typically in that situation because it's connected to a whole bunch of other things that nobody wants to talk about or take seriously. And it's, these are people that have underwent trauma, trauma based mind control. We're talking ritual abuse survivors, Mm -hmm. all these people that uh, the false memory society and the satanic panic movement were designed to continue gaslighting these people. And so that's really where I'm at with my research. There's always going to be 13 year olds on a slumber party that, you know, play their little, you know, games because they want a story to tell at the campfire. Right. And there's, there's people where this will happen to them once or twice in their lifetime. And they've got a good little story to make people ooh and ah. But what I'm talking about is the people that are being tormented and targeted and harassed to the point where they're actually moving into the realms of declining mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they have to be heavily medicated with psychotropic medication just to get through a day. It is impeding their ability to hold down a job or a relationship. Uh, There are serious levels of this sleep paralysis that um, goes way beyond, you know, you took too much Benadryl. Sure. 
Sure. That's, I mean, let's just, if you're listening to this or watching this, that's terrible. That's awful. Uh, don't, I mean, it's sad that we have to say this now because when we were kids, people would be like, what are you stupid? You're drinking Benadryl to get high. But, but now it's like an accepted thing and there's rappers that rap about it and, and all this stuff. It is absolutely ridiculous. I don't know why you would want to put yourself through that because you may want to have that one experience, but then you're open, right? You don't get yes. to say, I just want one experience. Once you invite them in, yes. they're there for good, right? Thank you. Yes. The attachments. This is what people don't know about. And even in the church, uh, because spiritual warfare and the supernatural are sort of like, you know, we're part of the scientific revolution now, right? We're in a postmodern phase. It, and it's a rare church that is going to recognize how much supernatural, bizarre stuff is actually really going on in the Bible. And you can gloss over it if you don't understand the culture and the context and the history and the language and the geography of what exactly is going on there. But there's, there are supernatural and occult level things going on in the Bible that if the average Christian understood what they were really reading, they would be offended. They would, they would be threatened their yeah. their very belief system would be threatened by some of the things that's really going on in those stories like jacob's ladder when mm -hmm. he's his head down on a jupiter stone to you know he loves was where they did divination you know and yeah. there's a there's a lot of really um controversial stuff in there that we lose sight of and what what the average christian might not understand and it's not their fault it's it's due to faulty teaching or no mm -hmm. teaching at all right and that is this idea that the devil can't read my mind. The devil can't possess me. The devil can't hurt me. I prayed a prayer. I'm a Christian. This stuff can't touch me. And what they don't realize is, okay, you might never get to the point where you go full apostate and you're in your bed like Linda Blair and your head is spinning around and you're spitting up pea soup. Like, yeah, you might never get to that point. But there is demonic oppression. There mm -hmm. is demonization. Like th this is not full on possession. Right. And there, there are verses in scripture that talk about um, where Peter is warning the church, uh, be sober minded, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So that says to me that, okay, just because a demon can't get inside of me and use me as a host body and I'm out like, you know, committing crimes at night that I don't remember, like some sort of Scooby-Doo mystery. Mm -hmm. the, the fact is he can devour you. He can oppress you and he can he can get in his licks. Um, he he does have arrows and you can get shot with them. And so there's this um, inability to understand exactly like you said, that when you have these experiences, oftentimes the veil is lifted the portals opened, the doors opened, whatever metaphor of your choice. And that you have to actually proactively do things to close those portals and protect yourself. And okay. uh, the occult knows this, witches know this. Um, every, um, every channeling or conjuring experience that like, or ritual that's done in the other side of the realm here, the occult, whatnot, they know that 
when they do like a circle ritual, you have to close that circle. Mm -hmm. uh, if you play with the Ouija board, you have to put that planchet to goodbye. Right. And what a lot of what a lot of Christians, especially, are doing is they're having these experiences. They're waking up, uh, you know, in a sweat in their room. They're saying, "Jesus, help me! Jesus, help me!" And they're they're you know they've got their rosary or they've got the Lord's prayer or whatever their their thing is that they go to to provide comfort in that moment. But unless you are specifically calling upon, uh, if you believe that God is the one that is protecting you and shooed that thing away, then you also have to ask that God, if any door just got opened, um, I mean, there's scriptures in, in Revelation where you know Jesus says that he opens doors that no one can shut and shuts doors that no one can open. And so if you're not actually calling upon him to do that service for you, or you don't understand that a lot of times those sleep paralysis experiences or those Benadryl experiences, that was just you laying out the welcome mat mm -hmm. and that things can, they don't always, uh, they can attach to you and people don't necessarily put two and two together. They don't connect the dots. Like they don't realize that the massive anxiety or depression um, or paranoia that's come upon them after that event is maybe tied to something that's attached to them, something like exactly. that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting phenomenon because why doesn't it happen to everybody who does that? You know? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point. Um, I, if you're having an experience like this and I mean, I have, I, I've never experienced sleep paralysis that I know of or that I remember anyway. Um, I am a terrible insomniac, but I do mm. know that if your sleep is disturbed in any way, that can, I mean, it can ruin your life. And if you're talking about people yes. that have been living with this their whole life, I couldn't like, I couldn't imagine being scared to go to bed. And I think I would yeah. be if this was happening to me, I would have anxiety and stress about laying down in bed. And that's the place that you should feel, you know, super relaxed and stuff. And it's exactly. it's it's terrible. So what what do people do if they've done this? How do they go back and call on Jesus or now we're Christian? I'm Christian. Ryan's Christian. So when we talk about God, we talk about Jesus, but there's people that are Muslim, um, they're, you know, different religions and stuff like that. But does, is it just something where it's Christian, like, I guess, uh, techniques or, or whatever you want to, however you want to describe the rituals or whatever, is it, is it only Christian yeah. stuff that works or is it just a matter of what you believe? We'll be back after a quick break with Vicki Joy in her latest book, They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis, after a quick break. We're back with Vicki Joy Anderson discussing her new book, They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis. Yeah, this is a really good question. And it's controversial in our generation where um, tolerance has been redefined. Right. Uh, yeah. to tol tolerance doesn't mean 
that you shake your head and agree with every single thing everyone says, even sure. if the things that everyone says contradicts one another. Like you, you, there's right. still a discernment. Uh, there's still a right. discernment of truth. And and what I try to explain to people is Christianity doesn't have the corner on truth. I, I mean, Christianity has really only been around since Constantine. You know, like um, right. Paul. Paul wasn't preaching Christianity. He was a Jew of all Jews, right? And he still right. kept the law after. And so this, I let, let's put the, the word Christianity aside. And okay. what I like to say is, let's look at this from a biblical perspective rather than okay. a Christian perspective. Okay. And, um, and yet you do have to come to agreement on some things that an atheist and a Muslim it is never going to agree with you on. Right. And but but here's the deal. If you take it from if you take it from an Ephesians 6:12 perspective, the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, you know, depending on your translation, archons, um, you know, these these powers of darkness in, mm. in the heavenly places, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and if you go through a really boring dry study of Greek, the heavenly places, the Epiranios, we're talking about the second heaven. We're not talking about the throne room of God. We're not talking about the heaven where we all go when we die. We're talking the heavenly places are is is what we would call the astral plane, the astral realm. That makes Christians nervous. They don't like that word, but right. it it is actually what is being referred to in in that. And so. If you understand the gospel of the kingdom, which a lot of people don't understand anymore, because we now preach a gospel of salvation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we we have we have reduced the entire gospel down to one facet of the gospel diamond. The diamond has many facets. Mm -hmm. Salvation is one of them. Okay, soteriology is part of the gospel. You know that that moment of justification when you die to the old man and, and live to the new, right? Mm -hmm. But it's only one facet. And what's really interesting is if you do a, a word search in the New Testament and you, you do a search for every time the word gospel is written in the New Testament, almost always it is part of a phrase. Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Okay. And so obviously Jesus hadn't died yet. So obviously the gospel he wasn't preaching is believe that I died on the cross and forgave your sins because it hadn't happened yet. They didn't know what right. that meant. And right. and so he was preaching a different gospel than the one that we're preaching now in a, in a way. He was preaching there are two kingdoms and these kingdoms are at war with one another. And right now the kingdom of this earth belongs to the devil because Adam gave up the deed when he sinned. Mm -hmm. And we know that the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call it, we know that this entity had possession of the kingdoms of the world and the scepters because when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he brought him up to a pinnacle, which I think was a dimensional portal because Jesus saw the kingdoms of the world. So he okay. saw all of it in one place. And so Satan offered him the scepter to all the kingdoms. Why didn't Jesus say, hey, dummy, I already own the planet. I made it. What's your problem? Right? Sure. So interestingly, and you miss this because it, you don't see it in the Greek or you don't see it in the English. You see it in the Greek. Okay. In the English, it says that Satan said, you can rule all these kingdoms. 
there is a uh, part of speech in Greek that doubles the pronoun. And what it actually says in the Greek is, Satan said to Jesus, you yourself can rule. What he was doing was trying to get Jesus to fall over the same stone he fell over. Satan wanted to rule without God in the way. Mm -hmm. I want to rule this place. And what he was telling Jesus, because Jesus was all about, I do everything that the father tells me to do. I don't say anything unless the father says to say it. I don't do anything. I'm here to fulfill the will of the father. We're a package deal. We're inseparable. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. We're right. a package deal. And what Satan was saying is, you don't have to be a package deal. You want to be second? You want to submit to this guy? You know he's going to kill you. You know that submission <laughs> is going to lead to, to you know? Right. And, and so he, he was tempting Jesus with, you can have the scepter. But the, the point there is he had the scepter. Mm -hmm. and, and to a degree, even though Jesus won the keys to death in Hades when, when he died, until he comes back and wrenches that scepter out of his gnarly little hands, Satan is the god of this world. And, and so the, the place that we have to, the place where we're not going to have total understanding and agreement with people where the Bible doesn't mean anything to them is they're not necessarily going to think that there's a war going on at all. There's people out there that don't believe in a God or a devil. Mm -hmm. There are people out there that think that Lucifer is the true God and Yahweh yeah. was this, like we're on the prison planet. So like, I understand that not everyone is going to agree with this. Now, here's where it gets a little bit interesting. Um, I have read online in message boards and I've spoken to people. I have called, I've done counseling calls with people. I'm not a Christian. I, I've talked to agnostics. I've talked to people deeply steeped in the new age, people who don't give the Bible any sort of credence. And what many of them have told me is instinctively, when I experience these levels of fear, I find myself calling out to a God I don't even believe in. Mm. And uh, I remember one time reading on a message board, a Muslim man saying, Hey, you guys, I have sleep paralysis all the time. And I don't believe in, G I don't believe Jesus is God, mm -hmm. but it's the only, it's the only thing that stops this. So even if you don't mm. believe in him, it doesn't matter. But, but here's the, here's the bigger problem. Even if you can cajole a bunch of people who don't, know or love Jesus to say in the name of Jesus, get out. And they're like, oh, yay, it works. Mm -hmm. In a sense, it is just a Band-Aid. And that's no disrespect to the name or the power of Jesus. But what right. I'm saying is, if you've, op if you've opened those doors that we've talked about, and you have not properly shut them, all the name of Jesus is going to do for you is shoo them away again and again and again. Notice they keep coming back. Right. So yeah, yeah, you can say in the name of Jesus, get out. And Sometimes they will and sometimes they won't, uh, depending on where you're at. But but the fact of the matter is, we want that door closed. We want this to stop, right? Um, and and with that said, there's people that there's people that don't want want it to stop. There's people that seek these things out. Mm -hmm. They're seeking the communication and and they're seeking the communication out. I've also run into and this takes a lot of introspection, but I would say to listeners out there. It's kind of like, you know, the proverbial conundrum of the alcoholic. They don't want all of the negative consequences that come with drinking and they don't want the hangover and they don't want all of the, you know, the, the problems that come along with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but
but they really don't want to stop drinking either. And so the it's the, it's sort of the same issue. I talk to people who don't want the sleep paralysis. They hate it. It's terrifying. They want it all to go away. But then when you actually show them how you could do it, they're like, oh, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Because there is this bizarre Stockholm syndrome that comes along with it where okay. you you don't like it. It's very scary. There's consequences that you don't like. There's attachments. There's open doors. And these things, you know, some people talk about familiar spirits and angels of light and people that are like in the astral that are really nice and kind to them. But a lot of these spirits that attach, they're mean and they like to mock and harass and scare and they're impish. And <laughs> and so they're they're really hard to get rid of. But what what a lot of people have to come to grips with is if this goes away and never comes back, all of my stories dry up. Uh, my ability to kind of ooh and ah, all my friends goes away. And then there's this, there's this. Like you're not special anymore, maybe. Th that's exactly where I was going. That's exactly where I was going. You special because you were picked. And that's, that you is Stockholm picked. syndrome. That's scary. It, it is. And even though, you know, it, it'd be like this. Let's say the most famous, richest, most handsome or gorgeous a-list celebrity in the world married you. And then once you got into the marriage, you realized that they were abusive and mean and unkind. And they, every moment of your life was miserable. You would want to get out of that relationship, but now you're losing all the perks. Mm -hmm. You're, you're losing all of the attention and the paparazzi and the money and the shopping trips and the fame and the being on the coattails of this extravagant lifestyle. And so there would be a lot of people that would weigh that in the scales and put up with the abuse because they don't want to give up the status that it has given them. Right. right. So it's kind of the same thing. I don't want all this. This is not beneficial to me in any way. And the fruit that it is bearing is having a steady decline on me mentally, physically, and spiritually. But I was chosen. There's millions of people on the planet and they see, and because a lot of times people will be along with these experiences, they're given abilities. They, they can predict the future. They can, they have psychic abilities or they have all this arcane knowledge or that they're getting perks that they know are going to dry up. Right. And so they're like, yeah, what, what, you know, which <laughs> they're weighing it in the balances. And so uh, a lot of times, I shouldn't say a lot of times, there are cases where it's not even that people don't know how to get rid of it. They just haven't really decided yet if they're fully willing to divorce it. Hmm. And that that's a further complication. That's yeah. a further string attached. Uh, so I don't know if I really answered. I didn't mean, I was not meaning to step away from no, the actual question about, um, here, here's the long and the short of it. I can only speak the truth as I see it. And I know that there's people out there that will not agree with it. Sure. My, my desire is not to be divisive. Mm -hmm. It is not to be morally superior. Sure. But from my point of view, which is 45 years of sleep paralysis but also 45 plus years of being a Christian and studying the word is I believe that there is a cosmic war going on behind the veil 
we are sort of cannon fodder in the middle of it. There is a lot of smoke and mirrors. There's a lot of deception. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my belief is that (laughs) there are ways to get sleep paralysis to stop without becoming a Christian. But the only way to get it to stop and put your soul in a safe position from the next level of deception, which might not have anything to do with paranormal activity or sleep paralysis, is to call on the one who the war is is against, you know, which is Jesus Christ. He mm-hmm. is the ultimate cosmic enemy. He is the reason why this war is going on. And so that is the solution that I'm going to provide every time. And so if there are people out there of a different persuasion, different worldview, different faith, here's the good news. You can shut this off. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to read my book. You don't have to call me and ask for my advice. You know, that's the beauty of, of our constitutional rights of freedom of religion sure. and speech, so long as we have them, knock on wood. So, um, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, so I, I believe that the name of Jesus can work regardless of your belief system. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Once you have attracted the eye and the attention of a spiritual entity who is an enemy of God and Jesus Christ, whether you believe in him or care. Sure. I I guarantee you that whatever is, is, is coming to you hates Jesus Christ with a passion. Okay. So he's an enemy of God, even if, if, if you don't care, here's the problem. Once those doors have been opened and there's attachments, there's no Switzerland in this. Once you've been pulled into this war, basically when you have sleep paralysis, you're the one in the movie where um, the gunman comes in and grabs you by the, the by the neck and has the gun to your head. And mm-hmm. you're the one in the headlock that you're praying to God that the, the, the other guy, you know, knows karate or knows magic <laughs> or knows something because sure. uh, one false move and you're getting the bullet in the head. So once you get dragged into these spiritual realms, these cosmic or astral realms, once you get dragged in, what's really happening is this entity has you in the headlock with the gun to your head. And the only person on the other side of that who's going to be your knight in shining armor ultimately is going to be Jesus because he's the only one that cares and gives a rip about you in that spirit realm, right? But here's the problem. If you do nothing, if you choose to be Switzerland, or if you choose to say, I don't care if I get shot in the head, life stinks anyway. If you try to just ignore it or say, like, I don't need to do anything here, there's no such thing. Because Mm -hmm. once you're in that place... uh, you will be significantly impacted spiritually. And what I find most often is it terrifies people so much that in their quest to figure out what's going on, they find the gospel of the kingdom and they, they are, they find relief from it. But there's other people then who swing all the way over here. I've been chosen. I have these gifts. They need Mm me. I I'm a star seed. I'm helping planet earth. I've been put here to help planet earth. I've been here to help people cross over. Um, and let me just speak. I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast. Let me just speak to this phenomenon where a lot of people will say that these ghosts and, and the familiar spirits that show up are always very empathetic characters. They're, they're usually children or, you know, children who say that they were murdered or, you know, they, they have a very empathetic story and they'll tell you, you have a gift and I need your help crossing over. Mm. And that's a trick, right? 
it, it is a trick. And, and let me tell you what's going on here. A lot of people think that there's this grim reaper or this angel of death, and they'll point to Exodus. They'll point to the Passover where this angel of death came and, uh, and killed all the firstborn. Sure. And this angel of the Lord who, who wiped out whole armies. If you actually read the text, if you go to Exodus and you read the Passover text, Yahweh is speaking directly to Moses and he's telling Moses, this is what's going to happen. And he says around midnight, I will walk through the camp. Yahweh is the angel of death. Jesus, uh, this is a pre-incarnate Jesus, right? So before okay. Jesus came, uh, a pre-incarnate Jesus, that's the Yahweh in that, in that passage. Okay. So pre-incarnate Jesus Christ is saying, I am going to walk through the camp. And if there's blood on the door, I'm going to pass by. If there's not, you know, I'm going to take the firstborn. So this grim reaper, this angel of death that comes and, and ferries you across the river sticks or wherever to Sheol, right? Mm -hmm. It's Jesus himself. So if you have got, if you have got a little child or a familiar spirit or a ghost I used to live here and I'm, I, because my soul is stuck in this like limbo because I committed suicide or, you know, the, the church excommunicated me. That was a big belief in, in the old days. Mm -hmm. uh, I need, I need your help. Um, what he's in essence saying is the angel of death failed to do his job correctly. He let mm -hmm. a ball drop. And so now I need a human being to help me because this angel of death never showed up for me and now I'm alone and scared. And so what he's actually saying is Jesus Christ doesn't know how to take care of souls that pass, right? It, it's sure. really an indictment. It's an indictment against Jesus that he doesn't know how to uh, deal with souls once they, they've passed. And so there's just all sorts of very subtle smoke and mirrors in this. And what's scary to me is even if you go to church, if you are not in the word, if you're not biblically read, if you're not digging your way deep into the word to get to the source of things and to, to the root of the language. And, you know, if all you're doing is reading modern English translations and you're not delving into what did that mean in Aramaic and what would that have meant in, in the first century or what would that have meant to a bunch of of Jews who all of a sudden thought that this is the Messiah, you know, and so we, we have, we are so vulnerable to deception. And when these cosmic things come, and especially when they appear to us in, as angels of light, and they have these stories and they're, they're luring us, they're, they're beguiling us. It's the same thing as, you know, in, in the garden, if we don't know our scripture and we don't really know who we are and we don't really know who Christ is and we don't really know what the gospel is, we're going to be very, very easily beguiled by these things. And so what's dangerous about no Switzerland, you know, no safe zone is mm -hmm. you will be profoundly changed spiritually if you continue to have these experiences. And you're either going to be profoundly changed towards the guy over here holding this scepter, or you're going to be profoundly, you will at the end of the day, find yourself on the side of one of these armies at war mm -hmm. in, in the heavenlies. And so th there's no bench warmers. Once you get pulled <laughs> into, into this game, you're not, you're not going to be a bench warmer. You're going to have to pick a side, choose today mm -hmm. whom you will serve. Uh, it, 
it's very, very, it's a very, very real thing that's being said to us. Choose today whom you will serve. And there's no way to be flirting with communicating with cosmic beings behind the veil, especially if they're enemies of God and think that you are somehow going to not be profoundly and dramatically impacted by that experience. What I love is is uh, that you said that people say, you know, they're having these experiences and then they use, you know, invoke Jesus and, and it works. And then they're like, okay, well, I'm just going to go back to whatever. And it's like, wait a minute, didn't that just prove something to you? You should, I mean, you should be the one that's out screaming it from the mountaintops at this point. Like, hey, I did this. It saved my life. I can sleep now. You guys all need to hear this. But then they're just like, eh, I'll just say it again if it comes around again. And yeah, is there a point in, I know we can't know, you know, God's thoughts or, or you know, Jesus's thoughts or anything like that. But in your opinion, is there a point where, you know, Jesus or, or God or Yahweh or, or, you know, whoever we're talking about, uh, whatever name says this person has chosen not to come to me and I'm not going to go to them anymore. I've, you know, I mm-hmm. have uh, given you more than what a human, do. because we, you know, we all complain about our lives, but we all, I, I mean, <laughs> it's a wonderful place to live. Uh, and there's a lot of bad stuff going on, but there's a lot of good stuff going on if you look for it. Is there yeah. a point where he's just like, okay, well, you made your choice. Uh, don't come back to me. Yeah. So my one caveat to this, my one caveat to this, because you just said it is because I don't know the full mind of God. Sure. I, I can't answer that there wouldn't be exceptions. But when I look to the New Testament, Jesus told the disciples to keep forgiving people 70 times seven. Now that doesn't mean 490 times or whatever the math is. That was a Jewish idiom that meant till the end of time, okay. over and over and over and over again, forever. like you never not forgive them. So Jesus is never in his fullness and perfection gonna ask a stupid sinful human being to accomplish something that he himself can't do, right? right. So if we're supposed to keep forgiving people over and over and over and over and over and over again, I I believe that that offer of forgiveness is available to us and is lost when we die. That's the that's okay. the the end game there. Uh, now, there are certainly people in in situations that will say to the day they die, "I don't want you. I don't want you. I don't want you." And here's here's the flip side. Of free will. Okay. You win. You don't want me. I'm not going to force myself on you. Like Jesus is a gentleman. He he stands at the door and knocks, right? You know, the, the thief and the robber, this is in John 10, the, there's a sheep pen. And if someone comes in, like barges in or climbs in over the fence or digs their way under what, under, under the fence, sure. they are the thief. They're the robber. They're the murderer. Right. And Jesus is the gentleman. He's, he comes, he's the gate, he's the door. And Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's not going to come in unless we open the door and say, welcome, come on in. And so, you know, everybody talks all the time, like free will, like this is the greatest thing in the world. And isn't this wonderful? And we'd all be robots if we had to love him. And, mm. and I understand that, but free will is really the reason why all of us, I'm not saying it's the reason, the reason why we are able to sin 
is because right. our will is free and it's apart from what he wills for us. And so something that opens the door for us to rebel over and over and over again, and, and a God that says, you ultimately get to choose. So no one's going to get mad at me on judgment day because this is exactly what you wanted. And I honored your free will. And so, you know, I, I've been in those realms in my past where you studied all the apologetics of Calvinism and Arminianism and election and free will and all the debates and the arguments and the apologetics. And you can just exhaust yourself trying to figure all that out. But um, ultimately, um, my free will scares me because usually when I am using it, (laughs) my will is, is not always aligned with what God wants to do. And a lot of the trouble I've gotten myself into in life and a lot of the really poor decisions where I didn't use good foresight, et cetera, was, you know, I was going to go with my gut, you know, and, and that's not like we, we're always talking in our culture about, you know, follow your heart, which is like the worst, like advice ever. <laughs> it, 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 it says in scripture two or three times that the heart is deceitfully wicked hmm. who can trace it out. And, and it's going to lead us um, down um, slippery slopes. And so um, I hope we're not too far off the topic here, but I, I do believe that um until we until we draw our last breath and i'll even tell i I don't think i've ever said this publicly because it's pure speculation sure it's pure speculation this is not dogma but because i have so much faith in the kindness of god and his desire for everyone to to be saved i i do believe that every single person no matter how quickly or spontaneous or unexpected their death is i believe that everyone is given that one last opportunity and i have had a few times in my own life where i've woke up overwhelmed with a burden for someone and i've prayed for them one time i actually was in the dream i was praying for someone and i woke up like praying the prayer and about two or three times in my life i've prayed for someone in the middle of the night and I found out that they had died that night. And, and so I thought, wow, the grace of God, like he, he is waking Christians up in the middle of the night to pray for your soul. And so I also wonder, and this is the part that's controversial and I'm not, it's just pure speculation. When you look at all of these near death experiences, these things are bizarre. No one really has this figured out what's going on. And what I'm wondering is the the way that that near-death experience is being explained to us is, okay, my heart stopped for 10 minutes or for 20 minutes or whatever it was, but I came back. And, and what I'm wondering is what if every single human being has that 20 minutes of consciousness and sees heaven and hell? And where this gets controversial is, Christian dogma and the traditions and the sacred cows that we that we stand on is that when you die, it's done. But we're defining death according to a pulse and a heart rate. I don't know how God defines it. And what if what if like what if um, what if everybody, whether they come back from a near death experience or they don't and they really do die and they don't come back to tell about that 20 minute period? What if there is some sort of grace period before we die where 
we do have one last opportunity before we completely flatline. And I, I can hear the baby boomer Christians like shutting off the radio right now in the rah, you know, I can, I can hear it. Cause that's the way I was raised too. Sure. And that's why I'm saying I'm not being dogmatic, but what I'm saying is I do believe that once we die, it's, it's sealed. But how do we know, you know, if you went to other countries a hundred years ago, or you went into the metal medical books a hundred years ago, do you know how many people they buried alive? Cause oh, they yeah. thought they were dead. They had the bell. They didn't understand. They had yeah, bells they had to bell. pull on. From the coffin. They did. <laughs> they did. And and there's other countries, like I remember in the 70s, missionaries would tell stories about um, other countries where they didn't go by the pulse. They went by some other thing that, and they were burying people alive. And I just read yesterday this article where they're learning that there's two different states of consciousness when you're, when you're doing CPR on a person mm-hmm. and they're starting, they're starting to discover that if you have the physical strength to keep doing CPR and your your the compressions are hard enough and you're doing it correctly, mm-hmm. that you can revive a person with full like no brain damage if you keep CPR up for an hour. Mm-hmm. And so, how many people died because someone did CPR for five minutes instead of right. sixty? Right. And so, we still don't know stuff. Mm-hmm. And and that's my only point. My only point is. I agree with the Christian dogma that I was raised on. Mm-hmm. Death seals it. But how do we know in our hubris, you know, look at the way God talked to Job. Where were you? Who do you think you are? So because we have this ad- advanced medical system, you know, uh, how do we know that because we flatline on a machine, right? that that's, we don't, we don't really know. And so uh, by way of this, like, forgiveness. I I think that God gives us to the very, very, very last drop dead second to the point where we have a conviction of sin and a conscious state. And if we say no at that point, we are a hundred percent culpable. Yeah. A hundred percent. Absolutely. That's a really, that's a warm thought. I, I hope you're right. And it, it makes a lot of sense because it sounds exactly like something that would happen, right? Like, Hey guys, listen, I've done everything I can do for you while you were on earth. This is what it's really all about right here. What do you think? And, and that's a a beautiful thing. I, I, I hope you're right. I really do. Because I know that a lot of people get religious on their deathbed. Uh, You know, people (laughs) that, you know, have, just done their own thing their whole life. They, they don't care about anything. And then they're on their deathbed and there's a Bible next to them. And, and that's great. I, I mean, I'm not knocking that at all. I'm just saying that when the chips are down, that's when people start to be like, Oh yeah, Jesus sounds like a pretty good option right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I have another, this is pure speculation, but you, you are very well versed in, in the scripture. And and I'm sure that you have an an answer for this. Is there any hope for any of these demonic entities, fallen angels, Nephilim, anything? Is there any hope that they can say, God, I messed up. I'm sorry. Or did they all know exactly what was happening when they decided to join the dark side? (sighs) 
I don't think that they knew everything. Okay. Which is, I I would like to think they maybe would have come up with a plan B. This is the reason why I don't think, this is why I think they didn't exactly 100% know everything. Okay. Um, Before any sin had entered the creation, they only knew, they were only aware of the attributes of God that were on display. So at that point, no, nobody necessarily knew that he had grace or that he had wrath because it, it was never tapped into. It was never, it was never necessary. So okay. now without getting all the timelines, like when did, when did the angels fall and, and when did the watchers come? And, you know, we know that the earth was pretty well populated by the time the watchers came down, but mm-hmm. this is, this is my guess. Okay. I don't know how much time passed between Genesis 3 and Genesis 6, but in Genesis 3, Eve was told that through her womb would come something that would crush the heel. And so the angelic realm that is all supervising this and listening in on this realizes, oh, they just made a colossal mess. They were thrown out of the garden they destroyed the, the creation on mm-hmm. every level and God is paving a way for them to be saved and forgiven. Mm. They did not know. And I think they took it for granted that that same grace and mercy might be offered to them as well. And they took a gamble and they were wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, now here's the reason why I don't think that, they are going to have salvation offered to them. Jesus came in the form of a human being. Now, this could have been done anyway. He could have come as an adult. He could have come as a he could have come as a lamb. He could have been God incarnate in a lamb, and he could have been the Passover lamb. Like mm. it, it did not have to be this way. According to Hebrews, the reason why Jesus is the high priest, the the greatest high priest is because he he walked in our shoes. He empathized with everything. He went through all, he went through the entire human experience, Mm -hmm. everything. He went through being born. He he went through being sick. He went through being betrayed by friends and having to work a job. And he he went through everything all the way to all the way to death. Right. Mm -hmm. So the reason why Jesus is a high priest is because he came down to humanity and became humanity. He didn't become an angel. He didn't become a watcher. He didn't become a Nephilim. He became the form of, he became the second Adam. He was the scapegoat for the human race. And okay. so to, to flip this on the head, not only is that why I think he's only saving humanity, but I also think that that is why the, the, the dark realms are moving toward singularity or transhumanism. Mm-hmm. The reason why they are trying to get us to give up our humanity change our DNA and wipe the image of God out of us is because they know Jesus is only going to uh, stand in the gap for human race. Humans. Oh my gosh. You just blew my mind. 
Wow. If you That's... get if you give up your humanity, you are not covered under the cross. You're not human anymore. I've got chills. That's amazing. I, I love that. I'm so I'm so glad you shared that. That's great. That's that's <laughs> yep, really yep. cool. Um, yep. We we are we are going to need a mediator at some point in life. You can live without Christ. You will need a mediator at some point, and your mediator can be Jesus, who died for you, or your mediator can be an enemy who is not going to give a rip about you and he's not going to stand up for you on judgment day. And even if he did, you can't impute your unrighteousness right. to him because he is, he is un unrighteous as well. So we, we need that mediator. Well, let's talk a little bit about transhumanism then, because this is something yeah. I've given a lot of thought to. Um, and, and I, I believe I've heard you say on other podcasts that there's many antichrists, many false prophets, many people. So normally I like to ask a guest who's the antichrist but you've kind of already answered that. Um, it, it brings up like Elon Musk for me, okay? Because he's trying to do this Neuralink thing where the blind will be able to see. Mm. And I am going to give you free energy. And I am going to give you freedom of speech on X. And it just... It seems too good to be true. I wonder if yeah. uh, if he's if he's the guy. But uh, I think I lost track of what I was asking here. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, let's. Uh, okay, so when we talk transhumanism, we talk Neuralink, right? We talk. Um, okay, yep. you have a brain chip that connects you to your computer, your lights. You can start your car by thinking about it. Stuff like that. <laughs> That's what people think about transhumanism, or like cyborgs. Like, oh, you can take your arm off, and we'll give you a robot arm, and you can lift a thousand pounds. That sort of stuff. Yep. But there's also things like that I thought about, like, what about a defibrillator? I mean, that's controlling mm -hmm. your heart. It's not controlling yep. it, but it's able to send a, a, a charge yep. and change. I don't, I don't know if I want to say what God had planned for you to have a heart attack and die, because if it's in the plan, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what you do. It's going to happen anyway. But yeah. where do we draw the line for transhumanism? It's, it's so yeah. blurry. What do you think? We'll be back after a quick break with Vicki Joy and her latest book, They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis, after a quick break. We're back with Vicki Joy Anderson discussing her new book, They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis. This is such a difficult question because we've already crossed that line. Like in the old days, uh, now granted, I think there's always been herbs and plants and medicines and things like that. And so, uh, and, I, and I don't, you know, we're not Christian scientists. We believe that there's something available. You know, we're, we, we have that in us. We, we preserve life. You know, mm -hmm. that's why we've got people out there fighting for people who, who are being oppressed. And so uh, what about life support? What about, oh. you know, um, you know, what about mouth to mouth and... resuscitation? Yeah, all this stuff. And so um, it gets to the point where you're like, well, if I see someone taking their last breath on the street, I'm not just going to be like, well, it must be your time. So, you know, yeah. like we we are a, we are a culture that is, well, at least at one time, uh, valued we life. Cared about this. We valued life. Right. Exactly. 
And um, so I don't know where that line is going to be drawn. And what, what I think it is, is the line is drawn when our DNA changes. Okay. Because okay. it's, it's one thing if we are prolonging our life. It's different if we are changing who we actually are. Now, I don't, I don't want to get you uh, blacklisted here. So I'll just say that there have been things that have come out in the last few years. And the rumors are that this could affect, you know, RNA, mRNA, DNA. So this is what's interesting to me. The fact that we're even having this conversation, whether it's true or not, whether it's a conspiracy or not, the fact that we are having this discussion openly now as a human race is fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. We are now talking about protecting our genetic code from nefarious things, right? Now, here's something that's really, really beautiful to me. Our, our, our mRNA, there it's the double helix, and mm. then you've got these bridges mm. that, that connect it, right? These bridges in every single human being fall at the same intervals. So every protein, there is a, um, there's a bridge at the 12th protein, and then you count down six proteins, there's a bridge, you count down five proteins, there's a bridge, you count down another six proteins, there's a bridge, and then it starts over. Okay. 12, 6, 5, 6, 12, 6, 5, 6. And so when you see these, these uh, DNA helixes, those little bridges in between are 12, 6, 5, 6. In Hebraic numerology, that 12, 6, 5, 6 corresponds directly to Yud, He, Vav, He. The, the bridges in our DNA are spelling out the tetragrammaton, the, the name of God, yod heh Yahweh, Jehovah, however you want to wow. pronounce it. That's pretty cool. So, exactly. So what that means is just like an artist would autograph his painting and he signs his paintings, all artists like sign their, their, right. their artwork. We have the signature of Jehovah in every single bit of our genetic code. And I am not even way over here arguing about whether or not I'm going to get turned into a cyborg or whether or not I'm getting tricked into the number of the beast. Like, like let's put aside all the horror stories and the sci-fi and the dystopian, like what ifs, right? Mm -hmm. If all they want to do is add a third strand to my DNA, or they want to knock every fifth bridge out of my DNA, or they want to alter that, You've now taken the name of the artist and the designer out of my body. At that point, how do I know that the code that you've replaced it with isn't spelling somebody else's divine name? What if there's a mark? What if that's a mark of ownership? What if that's the mark? Right. Right. Well, everybody uh, what, thinks what it's going to be a tattoo or a chip and it's like, well, you carry your phone with you, right? Yeah. I mean, everything's on there, but, yeah. but no, I, I definitely, I think that's a great, uh, interpretation. Uh, what worries me is I've seen articles now that they're, uh, taking mosquitoes and they are basically putting in a malaria vaccine in mosquitoes, an MRNA vaccine and letting them go. So these people that are in these, you know, malaria affected areas, they have no choice. You get, I mean, you get bit by a mosquito. It just, it is what it is. 
I, I've, yeah. I mean, I've got to think that God takes that into consideration. You know, and it, it, I mean, that's, uh, it's almost like a, a, a DNA rape. I mean, you're not giving your consent to change. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and consent that that's, that's the magic word there because even going back to the sleep paralysis uh, and I have a whole chapter in my book on it, the, the consent, the invitation, like mm-hmm. this is the whole, the vampire code, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you have to invite him as soon as the vampire steps over the threshold. And mm-hmm. we see this in revelation three twenty. behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears and answers the door and lets me in. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is three levels of consent there. Jesus doesn't knock the door down. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't get the jaws of life and barge his way in. <laughs> and so he, we have to hear we have to walk all the way to the door, look through the people, open the door and say, come in. And he's not going to cross the threshold until we give him three or four levels of consent. Okay. So my question is, if you want to go all the way back to the covenant, uh, Yahweh told his people, this is the covenant that you've agreed to. And here is all of the blessings and here's all the curses. Mm-hmm. And so if you break this covenant, false gods are going to take over. There's going to be deception. Their, your, their children are going to be sacrificed. Your, your men are going to go to war. Your women are going to be raped. You know, there's going to be intermarriage. Like it's going to, these are the blessings and the curses of the covenant. And mm-hmm. so when I think about all of these things that we no longer have control of, uh, and can we close Pandora's box at this point, you know, (laughs) mosquitoes, medical, medical things that you better do it or you can't work anymore. My question is, yeah, it's, it it doesn't seem fair because that's not the same as me going and signing up for something. I can't help if I get stung by a mosquito, but, but my question would be, are those things all now legitimate because we have broken the covenant and we are now the the natural order of the, the curses of breaking that covenant are falling upon us. And I'm not talking about bringing turtle doves and, you know, wringing their necks because you had a menstruation that month. You know, like I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking mm-hmm. about is there there is a there is a, a postmodern place that the church is at right now and there are good churches out there there's believers out there there's good preachers out there there's still good seminaries out there but what we are seeing happen now is the trojan horse got rolled into the narthex of the church and lo and behold in the middle of the night all of these woke agendas came out of it Mm -hmm. and we've got stuff we have we have flat out occult and witchcraft and Eastern mysticism being practiced in the church and being vehemently defended by its parishioners. So I guess my question would be, even if we get stung by the the mosquito or the nanobot comes and, you know, bites us in the neck while we sleep in a way, have we as a culture and as a nation, already given the consent Mm. just statistically and so uh, i do think that repentance is absolutely crucial if we want to turn the tide at this point i i do believe that god could come down like he has done many times before like at the tower of babel 
um, et cetera, et cetera. And he can say, nope, um, you've, you've gone this far and, and no further. And he could, he could have some sort of a revival or he could, you know, throw them all in the abyss. He could do whatever he wants. But I don't think that it's going to happen without genuine sackcloth and ashes and repentance for how we've turned our back on, on him and on the covenant. And, uh, if we don't do that and he decides to let this move forward, um, if you take a Hebrews approach that he disciplines those he loves, Mm -hmm. then, then the option is likely we're, we're told in scripture that it is now time for judgment to begin and it begins in the household of God. So in other words, the, the church gets judged first because they mm. should have known better. Right. Yeah. And so um, the, the, um, the double-edged sword of the judgment starting in the church is the tares are going to be pulled up and taken away. And the, the wheat will ultimately be gleaned in the harvest, but the wheat has to stand there because uh, the wheat gets taken second. The tares get taken and bundled and brought outside the city gates and burned, and then the wheat. Um, the tares have to be pulled up first because you might destroy the wheat. And so the bad hmm. news for those who, who genuinely love the Lord is, to a certain degree, we are probably going to have to experience some persecution um, oh, while the tares are being, being hauled off. And and that doesn't mean I'm not talking Armageddon end of the world e- either. I, mm-hmm. Even just for a revival to happen at this point in our country, I, I think at this point revival will probably have to come through persecution because we've had 200 years worth of free passes and you know revivals, and here's where we're at. I you know my uh, my daughters have gone to PSR at a Catholic church. One of the things that that they told my older daughter, when she was like in third grade, I think she asked in PSR, will my dogs be with me in heaven? And they said, no, no, Mm. there's no dogs in heaven. They don't get to go to heaven. I'm like, well, why would, how do you know if you get, if heaven is what you want it to be, I want my dogs there. Mm. And (laughs) they, they told my young, my other daughter that not paying your tithes is the same as killing your neighbor. I'm like, what? I'm like, dude, no, no, it's not. Don't do not kill your neighbor. I mean, and and that's the kind of stuff that people see. And they're like, see how stupid Christians are. See how dumb that is. And it's like the, I feel like the churches now are just businesses. I don't need gold floors and 150 foot high marble ceilings. And like, you know, we talked about, I don't know God's will. I don't know his thoughts, but I, I just can't imagine him being like, collect millions and millions of dollars and don't give any to poor people. Use it to make a church for me. And it's, you're right. We need a revival. We need to start over because these places are businesses now. They're not, and they're great businesses. What a brilliant plan for a business, but but that's what it is. And, and you know, I, I just telling people that if they don't pay their tithes is the same as killing their neighbor. That is an absolute insanity to me. And you know, I was mad when they told my my other daughter, "Your dogs aren't going to be with you." But then I'm like, "What? No, no, we're done. 
You're not going to, I mean, you're not going to get that kind of education. You know, she's 12 years old and she's looking up to somebody who is claiming to have all this knowledge. And it's like, come on, man. Yep. It's love. It's not, it's love. That's what God is, right? Love. Yep. So I want to address some of those things. First of all, you're exactly right. The the church, a lot of churches now are 501c3s. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of them fell like a Jenga tower in the last few years because they couldn't lose their payouts and their, they, they, they were somewhat beholden to the government. Mm-hmm. And so we, we really lose our freedom to maintain our belief system when we become 501c3s. Uh, I think Paul would probably roll over in his grave if he saw what, what it's become. Uh, when, when, you, when we see the word church in the New Testament, it does not mean what a modern American thinks it means. It's not even what the Greek word ecclesia means. But um, for, the, for the pet thing, I just want to tell people, if that's a question for you or you have young kids, I want to uh, suggest a book. Uh, my friend, Joe Horn, um, he, Tom Horn's son, he actually wrote a book on that. And I cannot remember the exact title of it. Um, he's written a few books, uh, and this, but this is the one that clearly has to do with pets. And it, he addresses the question as to whether or not our pets are going to be in heaven or not. So if you've got young kids and um, that is an issue near and dear to your heart, like, t- try to check out Joe's book. I think that'll be helpful. And here's the thing with the tithing. Man, this, again, I, I said earlier, we don't understand the culture of the, the Old and New Testament. We sure. don't understand it. And this is this is a big thing that we lose about tithing. It is still standard in, in the Christian church. I don't know about the Catholic. It is standard that if you're a good, godly person, you give 10% of every paycheck, okay? Mm. And so, uh, and th- I followed that when I was young because, oh, that's what we're being told, right? Right, right. Here's, here's what's really going on. In the Old Testament, it was a theocracy. They didn't have a king. They were in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a government. You know, they, I mean, they had Moses and they had some judges that he set up, but it was a theocracy. God was their king. Jehovah mm-hmm. was their king. That's why they carried the ark around with them. That right. was the guy, right? And so there was a 10% tax to maintain the temple. That was their um, federal tax. They mm-hmm. had a 10% tithe because that was their government. That God, right. Yahweh, the temple, that was their government. That was their God. Now, when we go into the New Testament, there's a new law. And it's actually a greater law. It's actually more burdensome than the 10%. What it says in the New Testament is each person should give according to the generosity of their heart. <laughs> oh, that's tough. <laughs> we're, we're not under a the, we're, we're not under a theocracy anymore. Now that we're under the government, render unto Caesar what is Caesar. Now Caesar gets the ten percent tax, right? Because right? it's not a theocracy anymore. And so now there's there's a reason why there's it's called tithes and offerings. They're two different things. Right. The tithe was what they gave to the temple. And the offerings were the overflow to the poor, et cetera, et cetera. When the theocracy went away because they demanded a king and now they've got Saul, Mm -hmm. then that percentage went to Saul. It went to the government. Mm -hmm. And so what we have now is we pay our taxes to Caesar and to God. We render unto God what belongs to God, which is everything. 
And so really, if you're if you understand theocracy versus government and you understand the shift in balance of power when they demanded getting Saul a king, and now we have presidents and things instead of God being hauled around in the box, right? Right. Now, now that the call upon believers is that you give out of the overflow of your heart. And as God has been generous to you, you be generous to others. And so really, if we read that verse correctly, we should be giving away way more than 10%. And not just to our church, right. but to, to, to whatever is out there that we... Is, is near and dear to our heart, whether it's helping kids or, or trafficking organizations or whatever. And so um, it really has become this power structure where the church is demanding an income. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you have a church full of people that aren't tithing, you've got a bigger problem than your, your budget meeting coming up. Uh, you have got people who are not willing or able to generously give away money. Mm-hmm. They're not supporting the cause of the kingdom. And um, and that support doesn't have to go to your light bill, you mm-hmm. know, in the church. Like uh, I, I'd rather I'd rather give my money to missionaries on the field in third world countries than pay for the the tenth jumbotron to be put up in in the sanctuary. Well and not only that, but you know there's so many charities out there that are just corporations and they're, mm-hmm. you know, their uh, CEOs are making millions of dollars. And, you know, it's like, oh, for, for every dollar you donate up to four cents can go to the needy. And it's like, well, I'm not yeah. donating to this. So this guy can buy another Lamborghini. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I would rather volunteer I at a soup kitchen. I, I think volunteering and volunteering with your time should count as as tithing too. And I know yeah. churches they they really love the control. They really love the money. And I do know that we did a show a long time ago about uh, Father Gabriel Amorth, and he said Satan is in the Vatican. He's here. Mm. It's, it is what it is. And uh, it's just, everything's so blurry. It's hard to see who's good. It's hard to see who's bad. It's a tough time we're living in. And I think a lot of people, you know, maybe it's, it's just words, but I think a lot of people are like, man, it seems like it's, it's time for another flood. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's, it feels like, you know what I mean? Like we're so bad as a mm-hmm. as a a group whether it's the united states or or hamas or israel where wherever we have lost that connection and yeah. you know a lot of people feel like and i think that the church has kind of pushed this too like oh well you want to you want to uh donate a bus for us to you know transport people around yeah god loves you that's a way to go you're mm-hmm. this is this is this is getting you closer to heaven. You know, oh, you you want to donate some more money? Yeah, you can buy your way into heaven. Sure, just donate to the church. And it's, I, like, you know, we've said repeatedly, we don't know the thoughts of God or Jesus, but I can't imagine them being like, yeah, that's exactly, exactly what you should be doing. It's, I don't know. How do we, how do we fix yeah. this? <laughs> we'll be back after a quick break with Vicki Joy 
in her latest book, They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis, after a quick break. We're back with Vicki Joy Anderson discussing her new book, They Only Come Out at Night, Exposing the Dark Weapon of Sleep Paralysis. Well, I I do think repentance is key. I think it's the number one thing. And that, unfortunately, has been really distorted as well. We're making a mockery of God with mm-hmm. this abuse of grace. Forgive me. Sorry. Oh, you know, and I call it the Britney Spears doctrine. Like, oops, I did it again. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Oops, oops, you know, and what a mockery. Like, you don't understand that Jesus was tortured and murdered to purchase this for you. Mm -hmm. And repentance in in the biblical sense, if you you go into the, the Greek and Hebraic understandings of repentance, the word actually connotates a stopping dead in your tracks, turning around and facing the opposite direction and running as fast as you can in the opposite direction. And Jesus even said that to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. And let me put that into the modern vernacular, knock it off, right? So uh, the kind of repentance that we need is a broken heartedness that we have have spit on the cross. We have have redefined grace to mean, grace means he loves me just as much when when and after I've sinned as he he loves me just the way I am. No, he does not. That's why he died. He he grace means that through grace we have the power to overcome the sin nature. We're never gonna be perfect. We're never gonna, I'm not saying sinless perfection, but true grace means. I hate that sin so much. I hope I never do it again. It doesn't give me any pleasure anymore. I I would rather not break Jesus's heart in this moment than have that moment on my lips or moment of, you know, uh, I I just feel like we, we have such a distorted view of grace. We have such a distorted view of Jesus. He's just this hippie pushover that is you're never going to hurt his feelings you're never going to offend him he's always just going to go oh come here you know like like he doesn't have a full range of emotions he (laughs) doesn't um you know so i just think we we have to we have to learn repentance and we have to learn um consecration which means i'm going to be set apart in this world i i can't get out of egypt the whole world has become Egypt. It's become Babylon. We live yeah. here. We can't really escape it. We're, we're stuck here. We're in captivity. But how can I consecrate myself that in this wicked generation, I am not going to look like them. Hmm. I'm not going to dress like them. I'm not going to, I'm not going to worship their gods. I'm going to be so set apart that when the crap hits the fan, my life is going to be in jeopardy because they're going to know I'm not one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, we really have to put our necks out. I mean, that's what consecration is, is you are not blending in. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you're not blending in because you're obnoxious and, judge- and judgmental. Right. And, and, and you have such a legalistic list of things that you have to do that you think you're superior because you're, you're doing and not doing them. I'm not talking about that kind of, of consecration. But sure. I, I, really, I really do think repentance, true biblical repentance, is where we have to start. I was really hoping you were going to say that uh, 
I, I, I want to hate sin so much that I don't want to do it. I love that line. Mm. Uh, I have kept you for 27 minutes past what uh, we talked about. It, it was an amazing interview. Is there anything else that you want to get out? Anything that we missed or anything like that? No, it's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on. And, you know, a lot of times when I do these shows, uh, if anyone feels disenfranchised, like, hey, I wanted to hear a bunch of chilling stories about hat men and shadow people and rape demons, you know, sorry to let you down. But what's interesting is, I always say that there's no such thing as getting off topic with sleep paralysis. You have no idea how much this, everything we've said applies because what, what these spiritual encounters that we have with, with the astral plane, they are wooing us away from the true bridegroom. They, you know, we talked a little bit about antichrists during this show. Mm -hmm. What they really are is anti bridegrooms. No, I'm the bridegroom. I have this to offer you. Um, and you're special and chosen. And, you know, and that's a lot of times even why there is a sexual component to this. It's the consummation of this betrothal covenant. They, they are mm. false bridegrooms. And so so to sit here and, and talk for an hour on the gospel of the kingdom and, and Jesus Christ and grace and forgiveness and, and the state of the church, it really is crucial to, to the discussion, even if it's not the shadow people part of the of the discussion. So, sure. um uh, and and if anybody wants to hear about the the shadow people, you can go to my website. I got plenty of plenty of shadow people talk on other podcasts. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. We'll tell everyone where they can find your stuff one more time, and we'll put it in the show notes too. Absolutely, you can get me at vickyjoyanderson.com, and that's Vicky with an I. Anderson is S O N. You can find me on Instagram at vickyjoyauthor. If you're interested in the book, they only come out at night, exposing the dark weapon of sleep paralysis. You can find that exclusively on lamarzuli.net. And you can find all the good stuff there, right? Oh yeah. You know what we need? We need you and LA and Karen and maybe my friend John yes. Mylar and a couple other people to get together because I, you know, he says that the Bible is the most paranormal book you could ever imagine. And the way they teach it is. it is boring. But if you taught it how it really was, the teenagers and the kids would be standing oh. up and praising and, and just yelling yeah. and so full of energy and excitement. <laughs> But then you go and, and you listen to uh, two minutes on the gospel and a half hour of why we need your money. So Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I, I would love a, a, like a panel discussion show with, with uh, L.A. and Karen. And like, that'd be great. Oh, you guys should do it or do it at a conference or something. That would be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be the trifecta. There you go. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us on Cryptique. Like we said, you'll have all your stuff in the show notes. Go to lamarzuli.net and you can find all of Vicki Joy's stuff, which is amazing. And thanks for joining us tonight. That's all we've got for you tonight on Cryptique. We hope you enjoyed the show. Definitely check out our YouTube channel, at Cryptique Podcast, for the video version of the show with slides and videos of what we're talking about. Let us know what you think at crypticpodcast at gmail.com. And for a small one-time donation, you can buy us a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash crypticpi. Check out our slick designs on t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, pint glasses, and stickers at crypticpodcaststore.com. Good evening, Crypt Keepers.